Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. Welcome to the Victorious Souls podcast with me, Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com, that lady on the internet who loves you, connecting you to the love that heals so you can go from survive to thrive in life. Today, I have Barbie Engel with me. She is a best-selling author and a reality personality living with multiple rare and chronic diseases. And she's a pain educator, advocate, and editor of iPain Living Magazine. Welcome to the podcast today, Barbie. I'm so excited to have you on the show. This is such an important topic to talk about. Thank you so much, Danielle. I'm so excited to be here and share with you and your audience. And I think we're going to have a really good time. And hopefully some of my story resonates with your listeners. I think it will. Oh, I think it will, too. There's a, like... We'll get to, this is something that's important to talk about because yes. not talking about things doesn't make them go away. <laughs> For sure. So your your story really starts from what I found on your website and your Podmatch uh, bio. It started when you were four years old. Tell us about the dream, your dream. Yes. My father brought me to a diplomat soccer game and they had cheerleaders down on the field. And I saw how they were able to do these moves and perform for us and get the whole crowd to respond and react to what they were doing. And I turned to my dad and I said, I want to do that for the rest of my life. And he said, you can't, you got to do something else. But um, I kept coming back to that moment and that feeling of, wow, the whole crowd interacted and was one, it became one. And that feeling that it gave me. And uh, shortly after that, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. And I started going to counseling for the learning disability to special classes and, and things. And they suggested to my parents that they put me in gymnastics and dance and cheerleading for uh, bettering my physical skills. Because at that point, someone would throw a ball at me and I wouldn't even raise my hands to protect my face. The, the ball would just hit me. Oh. And and so I'm like, okay, like I, I started noticing like things were coming into my life that I wished for at four years old. Like I want to be a cheerleader. All of a sudden I get to be a cheerleader. I get to do gymnastics and dance. And I loved it. I thrived at it. And where school came really hard, learning new things was really hard. In cheer and dance and gymnastics, learning was still hard, just like it was at school. But I found that with practice, I got better. So mm -hmm. coaches would say practice makes perfect. And I wasn't striving for, 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 for perfect. I was striving for that feeling of togetherness and closeness and moving something, taking action to move something forward. And found that I could do that through performing. And wow. I knew it at age four, when I saw somebody else doing it, I could do that too. I will be good at that. That's and I amazing. Doing it. That's amazing. Why did your dad say no? The idea of a cheerleader is ditzy, silly, not yeah. smart. And he wanted me to grow up and be successful. And gotcha. you know, he, had, he had gone to college and my mom had gone to college but they were the first and um, and their families to do that mm -hmm. in any generation. So they wanted us to all, I'm a sibling of, of three, I have three siblings. So there's four of us. And, and it was like really important to them that you go to college and you pick a career and you show your success through that career. 
where I, I'm like, I'm going to be a cheerleader. And he's like, you're not going to make money. People are going to think you're stupid. And you already have all these uh, learning challenges. So he, he really didn't think it was the right thing for me, but it kept getting put into our life and in, in front of me. And it was something that was suggested by doctors. So how could he say no? (laughs) Really? I mean, that's just quite incredible that that it's hard to believe that that took place, but it's so fortunate because it just spoke to your little child heart. It did. I I knew that I was going to be a cheerleader the rest of my life. And you are, you're a cheerleader of hope. (laughs) I am, I am. In there, but then you did that not just as a little kid, you ended up in college and everything with it too. I mean, how far did all of this go? What learning disabilities did you have? Um, Well, for how many learning disabilities? Mm -hmm. Um, I I had two, Uh, I had dyslexia, so I would write backwards and, and, um, and then just cognitively, uh, I'm legally blind without glasses. Mm. And, um, and so not just writing backwards, but seeing backwards. But interestingly, as a child, my sister and I are a year and two weeks apart. She's adopted. She didn't start speaking until I started speaking. And we had our own twin language, even though we were a year apart. We had our own language. So people would think that we weren't speaking, but we actually were communicating. And then I would tell my parents, this is what this is what my sister wants. And and so they would translate what she was saying through me. So I was actually speaking two languages from the time I could speak. Wow. Just one wasn't recognizable by the world. <laughs> it was just between me and my sister. And we still have that language, even, you know, 50 years later, 51 years later for her, we still have this language that even my husband doesn't recognize. But my learning disabilities didn't, it didn't mean that I was dumb. They tested me for IQ. I was at 142. And they're like, well, she's smart. Maybe she's lazy. But it really was that things just got twisted between my eyes and my brain and my hands in my brain and my mouth in my brain. And I had to sort all that out and find a different way to accomplish things in life. And I think that that really helped me with being successful as an adult because I had to learn those skills as a child. I had to, whereas my siblings all were just smart and they didn't have dyslexia or any learning disabilities. So they were able to just get through school and not have to study much where I had to study every single day. I even went to summer school every single summer. Wow. I have a friend who is an expert in the area of dysgraphia, which is a learning disability or reading. I don't know. I'm not the expert in dysgraphia, obviously, but it's with the eyes and writing and stuff like that. It's about writing. So it sounds similar to what you had done, but you can overcome these things by learning different skills to do that by identifying where the difficulty is at so that you can bring the skill or whatever you need to, to bridge that. And so you actually have something other people don't have by virtue of something that you didn't have that they had. Right. Absolutely. Like people think like, oh, this person was born without arms. So they brush their teeth with their feet. And they're like, wow, how did they think of that? But when you don't have the, the innate ability to do something, but you need to get it done, you find another way. Yeah. So it's a life lesson that that I learned very early. Wow. So how did you, I I asked you a question that interrupted you with something else. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Of your dream, how it got you into college and all. how far did all of that go? I went all the way through college. And then when I graduated college, I I graduated from George Mason University in Virginia, and I was engaged to a man who was, um, he decided to move to, he graduated the year before me. He moved to Washington State to be near his biological father and get to know him. And I graduated college on the day of graduation. I got on a plane with two duffel bags, and that was everything in my life. And I took it with me and started a new life in Washington State. And a week later, I saw I was out for, for a walk and I saw the local high school cheerleaders practicing and I was like, they need help and I need to help them. And my husband was like, well, if you really want to help them, you should probably have your own business and get insurance and do this right. And a week later I had my own company 
I started, I made flyers, like one page flyers at Kinko's and went up to the school and said, Hey, I can help you. And, and that was my first client. And then I started from there, um, building that company and doing summer camp trainings, uh, cheerleading competitions. And then the next year I heard that Washington state university was hiring and this was the first time they ever had a cheer coach or dance coach or mascot program. And they asked, um, they, I went and applied for the position and they asked me to take the position. They gave me 24 hours to move yeah. to Pullman, Washington. So we had to pack up everything and move like instantly. And uh, so the, I had my company, which I could do from anywhere in the United States. And then I had my coaching job at Washington State University, and I was living my dreams. And I turned that where my dad said, you have to get a real degree. So I got a degree in psychology. I turned that that psychology degree into the ability to coach better and went into coaching and still was cheering, still was a part of that world and used all of my knowledge and training and years of hard work and dedication to live my life dreams. And I was taking life for granted. And um, I worked hard for it, but I also took it for granted by that point. So um, I, I was in for a wake up call. <laughs> and you said you mentioned your boyfriend, but then you mentioned husband. So you yes. got married in there. <laughs> yes. So uh, uh, the the month our, our wedding was scheduled a month after I moved to Washington State. And so we, we did get married, but I ended up getting my own business before I got married. Um, and, so, and it went very, very well. And, uh, my husband became at that, my husband, my first husband, he became my house husband and I was out being a career woman and running my business and running, uh, the, the spirit program at Washington state. And, um, he would come along and help me on some things, but, uh, we, I didn't really put a focus on my marriage. And when, when I got sick, which is uh, probably uh, your next question, like what changed? Um, I, I got sick and things started to fall apart. And I actually saw what was really happening for those 10 years that we were married mm. was not what I thought was happening. He wasn't being there as a house husband and supportive. He was off doing his own things. Mm. Oh, so then you said you got sick. So what yeah. happened? <laughs> yeah, so I, I got endometriosis, which is a female disease where your uterus grows outside of your uterus and it starts attaching to other organs, your stomach lining, your bowels. It, it can really go anywhere in your body uh, if they don't catch it and you let it go for long periods. And um, uh, I started having constant bleeding, severe pain. And, uh, I started going, I went to a doctor and, um, he said, I think it's endometriosis. We need to do this surgery. And they went through my belly button and they found it and they cauterized it. And all that did was make it mad. <laughs> and it started growing even faster and stronger. And, um, I went through that surgery again. They tried me on different medications. And then finally I said, I can't take this. Uh, I'm okay with not having children. My sister's adopted it's okay if I don't have a child. Uh, I just need to feel better. And I went through a, a hysterectomy and a oophorectomy and, and the pain stopped or slowed down at least. And I felt like I conquered the world and I was back to coaching and doing great. And were you still um, married then? Still married. And uh, that was 1999. I had my hysterectomy. And then uh, in 2001, I tore my meniscus and MCL in my knee and, um, and I healed from that within six weeks. Wow. Just that's how athletic I was. I, you know, 28 years old, had a, had my first like major injury and, uh, with the cheerleading world. And I, um, bounced back from that really, really quick, but we had team doctors and trainers, team doctor did my knee surgery. So they took very good care of me. The next year I was on my way to work and I was in a, a minor car accident that eight seconds of, I saw a van coming at me in the rear view mirror and it um, never stopped and it hit me and um, they found me wandering around my building at work saying I, I was crying, couldn't find the gym and they said something's wrong, go to the hospital 
And uh, from there, they kept telling me, you'll be better in a few days. You'll be better in a few weeks. You'll be better in a few months. Uh, three years and 42 doctors later, I finally got a diagnosis. Over a million dollars in medical bills. And wow. I actually had a rare disease, which was triggered. Um, the the knee injury was a kind of a primer. So imagine if someone walked up and slapped you across the face. The first mm -hmm. time it would be a shock. It's not something that happens to us every day. But you start being on guard. So that knee injury was kind of a slap in the face to my body. And it was on guard. And then the, the second injury, which was the auto accident, triggered the rare disease and um that the rare disease was lying dormant in my body mm. but the accident triggered it to turn on and not turn back off mm. so my whole life started falling apart my marriage my my friends people couldn't well, understand were you physically couldn't... injured in the accident because you they... you said you were found walking around the school like how did you get from the accident to you don't remember i had no recollection I have wow. no recollection. They told me I had whiplash and I would be better in a few days. You know, whiplash doesn't make you forget and end up somewhere else. Right. That's... Right. Wow. But I, I sit pretty close to the steering wheel. I'm only five feet tall. And I saw the, the guy coming at me and I put my hand on the horn and I grabbed the passenger seat and I cranked around and was watching backwards and they're thinking that I hit my head on the headrest, but not the back of my head. I hit the front of my head mm. and it just jostled me and my body absorbed the impact that the driver was going about 20 miles an hour when he hit me. And he, he testified that he never took his foot off the gas until after he had hit me. Mm. He never saw me. So he just was going. Mm. Wow. So, <laughs> Yeah, so you you would think that I would just get better, but in that process, I wasn't getting better. And my my ex husband, we got divorced in that time. It was probably one of the fastest divorces on record. Um, the 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 team doctor said we don't know what's wrong with you. I would go to practice and I couldn't coach. I would lay on the floor in severe pain, and I relied on my captains a lot to to take over some of my duties. And uh, I was forgetful on um, choreographing, creating routines. I, I was having major trouble with memory and um, not recognizing or realizing what was going on, but clawing and trying to hold on to my life at the same time. Wow. And it, everything was just falling away, falling apart. Doctors were saying, you're never going to cheer again. You're never going to coach again. You just have to give this up. Wow. That's that must have been terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me is terrifying the way you're describing it of the things just falling off and like clawing mm -hmm. for that. And then you mentioned all those doctors. So you're going through this, you have all this pain, you're not remembering things. So then you must have lost that job, right? I did. I, I thing... actually, I had to quit. I had to, um, to stop coaching and take care of my my physical and mental health at that point i was in a deep depression which the doctor said is normal he's he the the psychiatrist i went to he said this is uh situational depression and anybody in your situation would be depressed about being on top of the world and having everything that you worked hard for it wasn't like it was handed to you you worked for this life and it was all stripped away in in an accident that you never saw coming. Well, literally I saw it coming, but up until that eight <laughs> seconds, I didn't know what was about to happen. And, um, I had to strip myself down physically. Someone did that for me mentally. I had to, to get my life back and I struggled and clawed and tried so hard. And the harder I tried to get that life back, the worse I did. Wow. And I had to give that up and realize who I am, all the things that I learned by cheerleading, coaching, performing, being in front of a, a, my dad when I was a child would say, how are you smiling when your team is losing 50 to zero? And I was like, because we train to keep smiling no matter what happens. So a lot of times people will see me smile and think like everything's OK. No, I took my issues and I made them challenges. And I found ways to overcome the challenges. 
And those are the types of skills that I learned, responsibility, time management, getting organized. I just stopped doing that for that three years that I was trying to get a diagnosis. I was just going from doctor to doctor saying, help me, fix me, instead of doing the work myself, which I had Mm. done all those years. And they didn't know that I had a rare disease, so they didn't know how to help me or fix me. And I wasn't using the right vocabulary. Mm. So I had to get myself organized as a patient, a chronic patient, having a rare disease for the rest of my life. What am I going to do? And uh, after my diagnosis, it still took um, four more years to get a proper treatment. So from 2002 to 2009, I spent most of that time bed bound, wheelchair bound, struggling, even with a diagnosis. I'm like, yay, I got a diagnosis, celebrate. And then I... And then I I didn't know what to do with that. So I started creating resources and tools and sharing and and talking about what I was going through, which I noticed that was helping other people to hear what I was struggling and what what my challenges were because they were having similar challenges. Not only people with the same disease as I have, reflex sympathetic dystrophy, but people with other chronic rare diseases were struggling with the same types of challenges in their life that are overcomable once we break them down into bite-sized pieces that we can get through. Wow. How did you cope emotionally through all of that? A lot of praying, a lot of crying, uh, counseling, especially in those first three years, the counseling was critical. But even four years after my diagnosis, when I, when I went in to get a treatment to get out of the wheelchair, I had the the uh, doctor who um, was giving me this treatment had me do mandatory counseling to prepare me because the treatment, we didn't know if it was going to work for me or not. It was mm. a hope that it would work. Yeah. But I was putting all my eggs in this one basket. And he's like, no, no, this is not healthy because if something happens and it's not the right thing or the outcome you were envisioning in your head, you need to be prepared to know don't give up on life. There's other things out there. This is just one step in the process. And, and it really changed my ability to think about time instead of thinking in a 24 hour time frame like most Americans do, um, if not the rest of the world, um, time became moments for me. Mm. And some moments were good and some moments were bad, but either way, I knew I was going to get through that moment. And that as long as I was here, on earth that life is my game. It's not an individual football game or soccer game and what you get the crowd to do when you're up performing, but it's life and living and having these experiences. And so time changed, uh, what I want in my life, life experiences, being around people, human connection, networking, making a contact with somebody who they can get, offer me something. I can offer them something, but it's not necessarily a tangible thing. It could be a moment such as a smile or holding a door open or um, my wheelchair was stuck. So they helped me get over the the bump in the road or whatever it was. Those human connections and moments were what mattered. And they were moments in time instead of time, minute by minute, hour by hour, as as we typically live. I see something there that you're doing, you did then, and you're doing now that you wanted to do as a kid with that, the cheerleading thing, but you talked about the unifying and you're talking about human connection. And so it sounds to me like you found a way to morph your dream into another way to do the same thing. And that's just so beautiful. Thank you. And I I believe for me, that's a gift from God. I'm a a Christian and I believe in in the power of God and prayer. And I believe he has a path for me. He knows what that is. I don't necessarily know. Sometimes something happens and I go, why did that happen? Why is this happening? And instead of saying why, I look back, I must not supposed to know now. But after my divorce, I moved to I, I moved from Washington State to Arizona because I asked my doctors if I have this rare disease that you don't know what it is, 
where would you go if you could go anywhere in the world? And they said, go to Arizona. And I said, okay. So I came to Arizona and I still was having challenges and problems. And um, Arizona wasn't magical. (laughs) Do what? Arizona wasn't just magical. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So I, I came to Arizona and one of my new neighbors I was like, I am never getting married again. I'm, I'm, I just have to concentrate on my health. This is, I got to get fixed. And my new neighbor, his name was Ken. And my name is Barbie. If you, if you don't remember from the top of the show. And, um, I met him and I said, hi, I'm Barbie. And he's like, I'm Ken. And I was like, oh, wow. Well, what do you do? And, and he's like, well, I work from home and he's explaining what he does. And I said, great. Well, I need to, I can't drive right now. And would you mind, I could pay you $40 a day to drive me to my doctor's appointments and physical therapy. And you work from home and you can like, I can schedule it in between your uh, clients and things that you're doing. And he said, sure. So I met my husband, my current husband, because he was a neighbor who I needed help from. And he just happened to be named Ken. And in our drives to doctor appointments and those types of things, uh, physical therapy, we talked and got to know each other. And he said, you are everything that I asked and prayed for. Wow. And except for your health. <laughs> but he, will you go on a date with me? And and I'm like, why would you ever want to date me? I suck. I lost everything. I don't know what I'm doing in life. And he's like, literally, you need to build your confidence back up because what I see in you are all of these things that you've done in your life. I see who you are as a human being that is doing things, that has done things, that continues to try and strive to live your best life no matter what is in front of you. You're everything I've ever wanted. And we went on our first date and and here we are 16 years later. <laughs> and um, and you know, it it really was. God sent me Ken. He's like, I don't want you to miss this sign. And so, <laughs> so we're Ken and Barbie and we use that. But I, if God didn't name him Ken, I probably would have just ignored him or not have said, hey, wait, there's a sign here. There's something that's supposed to be happening. So even if you can't figure it out in the moment, you're supposed to look back and go, hey, something's going on here that I might not be in control of, but it's the right thing to do. And I knew I was supposed to be a cheerleader. That is my talent. And that is my gift. And that's what I'm supposed to do. So I have to continue to find a way to be that cheerleader and not miss the signs in life, be more patient. And that's another skill. I learned patience after getting a chronic disease because I was definitely not patient prior to. Yeah. Well, it took, how long did you say it? took for a diagnosis three years that's a long time yeah that's a long time to be suffering all that time and have no no none of your questions answered just be living in a giant question mark is that right. had to be horribly painful absolutely it, it is very stressful it's hard to deal with uh one of the things that, that the counselors taught me in those three years was um, a project called uh, or a, a program called I am. And mm-hmm. so when when they first told the, the doctor first told me to write down all the things that I am and bring it back to my next appointment. And then halfway through the week, he called me and said, how's your homework coming? I just want to make sure you know you understood it and you're you're getting somewhere. And I was like, I'm nothing. I suck. I don't have one thing written down. I lost everything. And he said, well, let's get your list started. And he said, you go to church, you're a believer. So you are spiritual. And so there's your first idea. And that's what I started with. I'm spiritual. And then things started flowing. And by the time I got to his office, I had 50 I am's. I am bubbly. I am cheerful. I am a cheerleader. Even though I physically couldn't be a cheerleader anymore, I still had all the other skills of being a cheerleader in my life. I still am a cheerleader and you don't have to be all the things at once. You can, you can be two things that seem to contradict each other, but they're still both a a part of you and doing that exercise after, after our hour session, I had 75 things on my list. And now I have over 150 things on my list. And when I'm having a bad moment and a bad day, 
a bad a bad time. I go back to my I am list, which I have printed out and I've added two over the years and go back to my list and remind myself, I might not be good at this particular thing. I don't have that talent, that skill. It, it would take too much effort to learn. And I don't have those energy pennies in my life, but I am all these other things and they have nothing to do with my job or the thing that society looks at you know, what do you do for a living? Well, I, I, me, <laughs> and I have the ability to use my talents and gifts. And some people don't necessarily learn them or they learn them later in life. I knew as soon as I, like my, one of my first memories was being at that soccer game and, and knowing I am going to do that. I'm going to be a cheerleader and have continued to maintain that. It, they try to take it from me, during those three years, but I would, I knew that that was my purpose on earth. So I became a mental cheerleader instead of a physical cheerleader. Wow. You said something in there. I want to go back to that okay. and even challenge our listeners to that because it happens all the time. I'm probably guilty of it too. What do you do for a living? What do you do? What do you do? But your answer was, I am me. What do I do? I am me. I live. I live my life. That's what I do yes. for a living. I just that was beautiful. And I wanted to pause there. I wanted to put like some quote marks around that, so to speak, to <laughs> pay attention to that of what do we do for a living? How about we pause and we do life? We do life. We be who God created us to be and grow to be our best who we can be, because we can always grow. And add to that list. I think I want to start a list like that. That's really cool. I'm noticing in here, you had all this, the medical trauma, the not getting the diagnosis and all of that stuff, but you had a couple of really good doctors in there. In between that, the one with the wisdom for you to go to counseling. I think that that was such a gift, the wisdom to do that, to to give you the internal strength to deal with whatever was going to happen on the outside. And then this other doctor with the IM list, that's, that's amazing. That is really amazing. So you went from all of this struggle to what you're thriving in life now. How do you, what would you attribute how you got there? How did you get from all of that pain and that to thriving in life? I would say connecting with other people, talking it out, sharing my story, not saying I, I learned for one of one of my friends is Paula Abdul. And she uh, she actually had actually has the same rare disease as I do. She said, no is the beginning of a negotiation. And so except for unless it's something sexual, which we can talk about. Um <laughs> No is the beginning of a negotiation. So when the doctor says, no, I can't help you, it means that that doctor doesn't have the tools to help you, but the tools are out there or you are able to create them to get the help that you need. So don't stop at the no, keep going, keep asking questions, keep communicating, keep wanting to live your dream and, and fulfill your purpose and goal here on earth. And the way that we do that is sharing our story, talking, being able to bring that forward and present it to humanity and really take, take your, your worth and give it the value and the respect and the attention that it deserves. Take care of your me. And yeah. in doing that, you will help other people. You will help humanity. You will help your community. And that is how we can be better humans, how we can better support each other and help each other fulfill all of our, our goals here on earth and, and utilize our gifts that we're given. Yeah. So it's another way that I'm more familiar with putting it is uh, to not take no for an answer. Like she said, it's the beginning of a negotiation. Right. If you don't take it as the answer, if you take it as the answer, it's the period at the end of the sentence. Right. But with her and you, it's yeah, it's the beginning of a negotiation. So instead of the period at the end of the sentence, you turn it into the beginning of the next one. Yes. And then you just, you owned your voice and you owned that we're going to have this negotiation. We're moving forward. No, I'm not staying here. We're going forward. And you, you took ownership of that. And that's something and that's when that's I so got important. help. 
that's when I that's when I got a diagnosis. That's when I I took ownership and the the treatment that got me from wheelchair to walking is an infusion treatment. And I went to I, this doctor. I knew he was good with with my rare disease. I said he's going to be speaking in in Las Vegas, and I got to be there. And he was only speaking to medical professionals, and I'm not a medical professional, although I do now teach medical professionals. Uh, <laughs> I I went to to this conference and I found a way in and negotiated to have a seat in the back of the room. And they said you cannot ask any questions while the doctor's presenting. You cannot, you know, you you can sit there and just take in what you hear. And that's what I did. And as soon as he was done speaking, my husband made his way up to the side of the stage and and waited for the other doctors that also gathered to uh, be done with their questions. And and that patients came in and he said, "I have a question." And he started engaging the doctor and he's talking about his wife. And he said, where's your wife? And he said, she, he said, she's right back there in the wheelchair. And the doctors parted and had me go through and brought me up there. And he did another 45 minute lecture teaching all the doctors around us, using me as his muse to, to learn and talk and share. And these other doctors got to learn and they would never have had that experience. And I wouldn't have learned about this new treatment that was available. And it still took me two more years after that to get the treatment, but I wasn't going to take no. Will you be my doctor? I asked him right there in that moment, will you be my doctor? And he said, yes, call me on Monday and make an appointment. And it's, he had a waiting list five years long and I got in within two years. Wow. Because you just wouldn't take no. It's like, no, I'm getting this. The drive that we need to have if we want to get something, we need to, like you said, owning your value, you just use those terms, but um, seeing your value and speaking up and talking to others. And it's, that's why we have to share these stories because of other people who, someone who's listening to this, who may be sitting in a wheelchair is on the verge of giving up, but they hear you and they hear your drive and they hear that you did this thing and that infuses them with strength and the courage because it takes courage. To do that, for you to go to Las Vegas and to find a way and make a way to get in there, that took a lot of courage or grit or (laughs) (laughs) that took a lot. (laughs) It does. And I'm a rule follower. So if there's a rule or a law, I don't break it. So it was very hard to sit there and not raise my hand and say, but what about this? And what about that? And this is the patient perspective. Now Now I get invited to come and give my patient perspective. I'm actually today going to testify at the Senate. They called me last night and said, hey, we have this bill coming up. Can you come and testify about your experiences? That's how we get things done and and change things, being willing to share, even when it's vulnerable, being willing to share, even when we think we might get a no. And using that as a springboard to the next situation, the next sentence, as you put it. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you have a whole bunch of books, like I told you before we started recording this, that I just discovered that you had books because I didn't see them somehow, but it, you're a best-selling author. I'm like, well, where's the book? And then I discover <laughs> there's books. So yes. tell us about your books. Yeah. So going through this process, I wanted to be able to reach the most people and share the tips and tools and resources that I was discovering or creating or found from other people. And I would, I wrote my first book with my dad. We actually, it's called The Wisdom of Ingle and it's five generations of life stories because oh, stories wow. became so important, uh, a, a way to, to capture a moment and share that so that people could learn a life lesson. And we were on a, a drive and um, together to a doctor appointment. And, um, and in that drive, we said, hey, let's put these life stories into a book that could help other people. So that was the first book and I did it with my dad uh, and I didn't have to write or type. At that time, my right side of my body was curled up and I really couldn't Mm. use a a computer or typewriter. So I would talk to text and have it translated into text for me. So, so even if you think you can't do something. There's that drive again. Yeah, you can still find You couldn't type, you were curled up, but you found a way. I'm going to talk this out then. Yeah. And then the first book I did on my own was called RSD and Me, Reflex Sympathetic Dystrophy. For short, we say RSD. 
So RSD and me, and I, t- I started sharing my story to that point um, where I was writing the book. That took me six years to put that story. I was talking and it was being you know, translated into text. And then I had to go through and, and do editing and have editors that, that were able to help me. And then I and then I went into remission and I did remission possible yours if you choose to accept it. I love um, that title. I love that title. <laughs> Let's just stop. Say that again. Say the title again and do it a little slower just so people catch it. Remission possible yours if you choose to accept it. So choose. I to was trying it. to hold on and, and fight for all these things that I had before I got a rare disease and. I needed to be living in the moment, living in the present. And what remission, what I thought remission was, just like the doctor suggested, I I might not have the right vision of what this could be for me. And I thought I'd be back to doing backflips, but it didn't work out that way. Uh, <laughs> no he, more backflips. <laughs> right. <laughs> he he got me, he got me that help that I needed. And I take that help that I was given and put it into a book, Remission Possible, yours if you choose to accept it. Because some people go, hey, life's still not perfect after they get this this treatment or what what have you that gives them more life, but they don't recognize it because they were looking for a different life. Mm -hmm. You have to choose to accept the, the reality of what that remission looks like when you do finally achieve it. When the when the pain stops, what is there in your life? Are you ready for it? That book helps you through that process and understanding it and, and the psychological aspects of it. That's so, so and important. Then, it's so important. I had some two other people I'm, you're reminding me of that I've had on the podcast. One was in the first season, I believe she had lupus and went into remission with that and talked about what all that looks like. And re- more recently, I had a gentleman who overcame schizophrenia. And what does that look like? So I think it's real important to say, yeah, well, what does that look like? Instead of it needs to look like this, instead of like, how much can I have? You know, Jesus said abundant life. What does that look like for you? Well, you have a whole lot more abundance now than you did before. Right, Barbie? Absolutely. I do. And you're not in a wheelchair anymore, are you? It's weird to say, or people find it uh, confusing when I say my life is better now with the rare disease than it was before when I was living all my dreams. Wow. But you're not in a wheelchair anymore, are you? No, I I do come in and out of remission. So I have to continue therapy and it will be for the rest of my life to continue therapy. But um, I do still have my wheelchair and I have used it a few times in between appointments uh, when when I have an injury, my body will start attacking itself again. So mm. the type of treatment that I get tells my body, it's like a computer virus. Mm. Your computers can still work, but it can't function fully. <laughs> and when something happens, you try to download something too fast, your computer gives you an error. When I try to do too much, my body gives me an error and it takes me out of remission. So I have mm. to go back and and do infusion therapy again and uh, go back into remission. So it's a constant balance of life and ebb and flow, but that's part of the remission process. And I try to, I strive to never have the level 10 burning fire pain that I had for those seven years. So um, I, I try to avoid that as much as possible, but still live my life to the fullest potential that I have with what I have. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I could see wanting to avoid level 10 pain. (laughs) (laughs) I would want to avoid that too. (laughs) Yes. And I have, I have experienced it uh, at least once uh, since going into remission, a a doctor, I had injured my shoulder and um, I had to have a shoulder surgery. And the doctor said, I want to give you this uh, block in your shoulder at the same time. And I said, I don't want the block. I had 37 uh, at that time, I had 38 blocks. So he thought I was just afraid of the block, uh, which is a type of medication. They call it a block. And it wasn't that I was afraid. I just had had bad reactions and I had 38 bad reactions. So I knew I didn't want a 39. Yeah. And um, while I was in, he was doing the procedure. He thought 
he was going to show me how great he was and gave me the block anyway. And I literally woke up at with anesthesia in me, woke up wide awake in the OR and was like, what did you just do? Why did you do that to me? You were not supposed to do that. Wow. Um, from a dead sleep being put out to wide awake. Wow. Uh, so he realized he made a mistake. No and it wasn't kidding. that I was afraid. I knew what I was talking about. So. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So your other books too. How many books do you have? I have nine books. And um, so uh, four of them are co-authored. And then I did five on my own. But growing up, I had trouble reading a book. I never, ever, ever imagined in my life part of being a cheerleader would be writing books and sharing my knowledge, but it's so important to do that. And I feel a call to write on a new topic. So I have one called real love and good sex, uh, that, that is helpful for chronic pain patients and their life partners. And, um, it, it teaches you that it's, it's not all about the active intercourse. There's so many other ways to show love and be loved and, it talks about, you know, when, when the caregiver is afraid to touch the partner, what to do. And, you know, it, it goes through the aspects of, of grief and depression and other things that you go through as a patient and as a caregiver and that caregivers go through those same exact emotions. They don't feel the physical challenges that you feel, but everything else they are going through as well. Yeah. And to be mindful of that and pay attention to that and, and help make your relationships stronger with with that special life partner wow yep. so where can people get your books you can get them anywhere books are sold you you if they're not in the store you can request it at barnes and noble or chapters up in canada um i have libraries that that carry it carry some of the books i have a children's book um that's very popular and those books um, are available in any store, but also on Amazon or on my website, barbieingle.com. And it's, you know, definitely out there and available. So when people are like, I can't find your books, probably I don't talk. I have nine books and I don't talk about them. Yeah, so much, but, <laughs> but when I'm talking to a patient and I'm hearing their story, I go, hey, guess what? This book and Barbie's Invisible Endless Owie could be a really good book for you to help communication with your nephew or niece or child mm -hmm. to learn about for them in a psychological way. Cause I use words that are good for children, um, ages two and up like mm -hmm. owie hurt things that, that, that even younger children understand. They don't understand the word pain, but they understand owie. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> I, I, I can make a suggestion about a book based on, what I'm hearing one-on-one -on -one, uh, a person needs. So um, I have one that's just navigating the, the uh, minefield of the health system. Wow. Yeah. So, so I have different topics for different reasons and the easiest way, because I can't talk to everybody in the world at once is to put <laughs> it into a book and make it a resource for people. Wow. You are very driven. I can hear it and your passion when you're talking and the things you've overcome. What is what is it that drives you so much to get these books out there to talk? What 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 is it that drives you? We only die once. We should live every day and live every moment to the fullest that we can. So when I'm having bad days or I'm out of remission and I have to be in bed, while I'm laying there in bed, I'm I'm if I'm able to, I write notes. I have a, a notepad that I uh, write my notes on. I got sticky notes and I can organize them when I'm feeling better, but I make plans. When I feel better, I'm going to do this. This is my to-do list. I don't have to do it in order, but when I have a moment, I can look at my list and say, oh, I can accomplish these three things or this one thing. Even if it's today, I'm going to get out of bed and go into the bathroom and wash my face off or brush my teeth that I celebrate. It's wow. so important to celebrate your wins. Yeah. And on that day, in that moment, that could be a win for you. It doesn't have to be a huge win. Anything that, that you are struggling with as a challenge that you can overcome, celebrate it and then celebrate all the good things too. go, go both ways with celebration. So Amen. That's, wow. that's really how I, how I, <laughs> get yeah. through that is, is celebrating even, even the struggle. Wow. 
Well, is there anything that you we haven't covered that you want to make sure you you cover, you say to our audience today? You want to make sure that you get a chance to tell them something. What do you want to leave them with today? What I'll leave the listeners with is remember that there is great reason for hope, that there is help. All you have to do is reach out and seek it. Wow. So how can people connect with you? You mentioned your website. Can you spell it too? Yes. BarbieIngle.com. Barbie with a Y. Ingle with an I. So it's B-A-R-B-Y-I-N-G-L-E. L-E. Dot com. Dot com. Okay. And are you on the different socials also? I am on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Wow. This has been fantastic, Barbie. Thank you for sharing your story. I know it's going to help people so much. Your courage, your boldness, the tenacity. There's such strong, powerful traits that people, we can borrow them from one another. When we hear it coming out of someone, we can go, oh, I need me some of that. Yes. Those are (laughs) all on my I am list. Those are all part of who I am. Thank you for seeing those gifts. (laughs) <laughs> it's 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 very telling it's very evident to me and i'm just so thankful that you were with us today on the victoria souls podcast thank you thank you for having me and everybody listening please go right now and give this a five-star rating listen to some of the other podcasts because danielle has a lot of great guests that have a lot of great wisdom that you can learn from so don't stop here keep going keep supporting her and paying attention to what she's doing as well Oh, thank you, Barbie. That was so kind of you. And thank you, my listeners, for being with me. You know I love you. So until next time, bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Victoria Souls Podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further. So please visit us at daniellebernock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life. No one can do it for you.